Bay FM 100.3, the heart and soul of the Bay. It's now 7 o'clock, Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Good evening, Dean. Good evening, Ken. How are you? I am extremely well, extremely well indeed. We have one hot topic tonight. We certainly do. Part two. Part two. We started something last uh, last month. China Conversations Part 1. And Hopefully not a war. <laughs> no, well, that would be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, we're going to continue with Part 2 tonight. We've got two super amazing guests. Yes, we have. We've got uh, Andrew Hasty, MP, Head of the Parliamentary Inquiry into Foreign Interference into the Australian Universities. Absolutely. And he has got a pedigree which is really, really interesting. So we've got a list of questions lined up for him, which I, I don't want to sort of give, the, give the, 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 the secrets away just yet. But I think he's going to be a very, very interesting conversation, particularly in the, in the, uh, the last few days, the, the amount of information that's coming out uh, with the barney between, well, that's not the right word, with the conversation between China and Australia at the moment. It's really developing faster and deeper. And so it'll be, a, a, I, I've got a few questions I'd like to ask Andrew and see what comes out of that it should be very interesting in that respect. very interesting I think yeah. it's going to open the doors to a lot of different a lot of more questions to be answered I think I think so mm. yeah and I think we're only at the start of it yeah it's progressing yes absolutely that's our first guest this evening and then our second guest in the uh, second hourish around about there kind of thing Fergus we've got, Hansen we've got Fergus Hansen Head of the uh, cyber, director of the cyber uh, department of uh, ASPE. Yep, and a, a well-known author as well. He's written quite mm -hmm. a few books, and one of the ones that I found really, really intriguing was his uh, Internet Wars. It was uh, a book basically on the, the cyber and foreign policy topics, which uh, is really kind of cool as well. He's got a website, and uh, we'll give you details on that a little bit later on as well because there's a lot of information from his department on that website. Yeah. And I think after tonight's conversation, there'll be a lot of people who'll be zooming in on that to find out a little bit that more. That ASPE website is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Give you a lot incredible. of insight to what's going on around the world at the moment in security and so on. For sure, for sure. He's uh, he's another very interesting man as well, and he'll take a slightly different tack to, to what Andrew does. Um, we've got a few questions on our list. I'm just wondering if you're listening out there and you've got a question or two that you'd like to ask. You've got a comment. You want a little bit of a, a thought that you want to share with us. You can do that now. We've got now the technology for you to be able to be a part of our conversation. And the SMS, SMS only, 04. 68861003. Don't call the number because it won't get answered. SMS 04688 And you can see that right now or anytime through the conversation this evening. And uh, that will get straight to us in the studio. And uh, we'll pose some questions to our guests as well. Yep, looking forward to it. So it's, a, it's an interesting conversation. It's it's about cybersecurity to start with. It's also the China conversation, the interesting developments between Australia and China and even Russia to a certain extent. Yeah, the and, Thousand Talents Plan and so on. Uh, yep. Correct. And and America to a certain extent as well. Yeah. It's, 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 the world's definitely changing. It is. And the COVID situation has kept a lot of things hidden from us, but they're starting to bubble through the top right now. They're starting to come to the top of the of the boil, and I think there's going to be a lot of, yeah. a lot of interesting topics uh, that would cause concern. Is that a too, too harsh yeah. a word? I think you've got a lot of people at the moment staying at home, a lot of people online yes. quite often, and they're starting to investigate things, they're starting to ask questions. Yeah. It's becoming more noticeable before they didn't have the opportunity or the time to, Correct. to notice it. Now it's becoming that way, yeah. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more a part of the, the, the general conversation in, yeah. the, in the population as well, which is a good thing. 
Of course. You know, I think it's about time Australia, and I'm talking about every individual, I'll put my hand up first, every single Australian should take more interest in what is happening in our country. Yeah, of course, our own national security is so important. 100%, yeah. Because you know? whatever affects the general population affects each one of us and our families and our family's future. And I think that the, ro- the world is in a place right now where some serious um, discussions need to be had about where we sit amongst all of that and how we're going to defend ourselves and our way of life and our freedoms right. over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And we've got to take into account too, we're not talking about the Chinese people in general, we're talking no. about the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, Party an authoritarian yeah. group of people yes. that seriously have expansionistic plans on Absolutely. the world. And, and their beef is not just with Australia, by the way. Oh, that, it's with everybody. It's with everybody, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, development that's coming on through at the moment. So it's a, it's a conversation. It's called the China Conversation. We're calling it the China Conversation Part 2 because Part 1 was just amazing. And we want to say thank you to the feedback that we got from that as well because we yeah, had great. a ton of feedback. It was absolutely excellent. So thank you very much for every one of you who did send us your thoughts on that and uh, congratulated us on what we presented last time round. So we're going to do our very best to, uh, to do that again. We can only get better. We can only get better. So we'll get our first guest on the line in just a moment. Andrew Hasty is our first guest. He'll be around in, uh, in about three or four minutes' time. Bay FM 100.3, the heart and soul of the Bay. This is Searchlight Conversations, the China Conversation. Bay FM 100.3, the heart and soul of the Bay. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. We're just uh, waiting for Andrew uh, Hasty to be on the line. He is in a meeting in the big house at the moment so he has been delayed a little bit that's okay we have a very very exciting conversation to have with him and we're happy to wait another four or five minutes before we get started on that one which gives you another four or five minutes to get in touch with us on 0468 861003 sms 0468861003 if you want to join the conversation any comments any thoughts any questions you'd like us to put to Andrew Hasty, now is a good time to do it 0468 861003 Bay FM 100 Point three and tonight's searchlight conversations. We're just on the line waiting for Andrew Hasty, our very special guest, to join us in a minute or two. And tonight it's all about the cyber situation between Australia, China, America, Russia, the infiltration of our intelligence services, foreign interference, foreign interference. That's really what it's about. And and Andrew is the head of the committee looking into foreign interference in Australian universities, which would be very interesting to see what goes on there. Absolutely, I think the the the, uh, the testament that he is actually in a meeting right now. Is, uh, is something that we've got to be hot on the mark with. So that's uh, we think we're Johnny on the spot. I think we're, we're in good timing-wise yeah. to catch up with Andrew. Well, I think it shows before. that he's actually out there doing he's the doing job. It, doing the job. He's and he must job. be under a lot of pressure at the moment. Of course. Uh, a of huge course, amount yeah. of pressure. Yep. And these are the top people that we do need Correct. to have running this country. I mean, Absolutely. Really, especially yeah. in this time. Yeah. You want people who know how to lead. That's right. They know how to uh, be a strong ambassador, but they also need to have the right intelligence, the right strategies, and the right... Uh, common sense, if you like, to guide us to a successful outcome. Yep, COVID has definitely changed the world. That's what Prime Minister said. The next few years are going to be a little bit bleak, a little bit different than they were before. Bay FM 100.3, the heart and soul of the Bay, and you're listening to Conversations, Searchlight Conversations tonight. Our very special guest is Andrew Hasty, who is the federal member for Canning and the chair of the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security. Good evening, Andrew. Good evening, Ken, and Dean. Great to be with Queenslanders tonight. Yep, thank you, thank very, you much. very much. Yes, thank you. So, Andrew, you've uh, gone from being on the front line of the battlefield with the SASR. Now you've gone to the the uh, the real battlefield, the politics. Um, what made you get into that area? 
Well, I've always been interested in public policy. I've, I've always wanted to make a difference, and uh, that's why I joined the Australian Defence Force after 9-11. That was a big change in, in Australian history, indeed world history. And um, I felt called to politics um, towards the end of my 13 years in the ADF, and I felt the best way I could continue serving my country was as a member of parliament. That's great. The opportunity arrived in 2015, and here I am. Oh, that's fantastic. So tonight we're going to be talking about foreign interference, and I've seen that your name has been mentioned as being one of the people that the uh, the uh, CCP have been uh, looking into, I uh, saw in the Australian newspaper. So it's uh, getting very that's interesting. That's right. A very interesting report today in a number of papers, um, including online on the ABC, about how essentially... Uh, a, a private company is doing open source research on Australian political and business figures, um, which is then being onsold to Chinese military Isn't and that intelligence. Absolutely agencies. crazy! I can't believe that. Yeah. I mean, it, the world has changed. Sorry. So, Andrew, well, um, is what is your what is your definition of foreign interference? So that the, the public out there have an understanding of what it is. Well, sure. It's really important, first of all, to understand what good foreign influence is. And we as a country exercise foreign influence every day. That's why we have a foreign minister, Maurice Payne. It's why we have the Department of Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade. Mm -hmm. And so foreign influence, when it's done in a transparent and open way, is good and proper, and all countries do it. Mm -hmm. Foreign interference, by contrast, is subversive. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's acting on behalf of a foreign actor, uh, a government, to coerce, uh, corrupt or use deceptive and clandestine means that are contrary to Australian interests to undermine our sovereignty and also our institutions. So we know what foreign interference looks like because it's contrary to our interest and done at our expense. So how come all of a sudden we're hearing about it now? It must have been going on for quite a few years. That's right. Well, the, the Director-General of ASIO, formerly Duncan Lewis, now Mike Burgess, they, they were talking about this all the way back in 2016, 2017. Right. Um, everyone remembers Sam Dastayari's uh, resignation Risk from the Australian the Senate, Labor Senator for New South Wales. Um, and then uh, we've been told by the Director Generals over, over the last few years that foreign interference is happening at an unprecedented scale in, in Australia. That means it's at the highest level it's ever been in our history, higher than that of the Cold War. So in 2018, uh, we introduced the Espionage and Foreign Interference legislation, which passed in June of 2018. It came through my committee. Mm -hmm. We looked at it closely and improved it. And then late last year in December, in fact, the government announced a $90 million Espionage and Foreign Interference Task Force. And that operationalised the legislative, fra le legislative framework that we passed. And their job is to discover, track and disrupt foreign interference in our country. And you've seen some recent examples in the media. Right, okay. So there's more than just one country that's doing this, isn't it? I mean, I've heard reports of Russia being more involved in Europe and the US and China's involved in, what, Taiwan, Australia and a few other different places? Yeah, that's right. Think, think of authoritarian governments mm -hmm. uh, who aren't democratic, who use subversive means to, to undermine their adversaries for their own strategic advantage. Yeah. And so foreign, foreign interference, is, in a way, is a very low-cost way of doing business. It, it can include, of course, um, coercing uh, people of different ethnic groups. Um, it can mean undermining the political process through, through donations or whatnot. It can also mean attacking critical infrastructure through cyber warfare. Right. So there are a number of different ways that these countries can do it. And as I said, it's low cost. 
compared to uh, high-intensity military conflict, which obviously no one wants. Yeah, of course. Is, is Australia prepared for that? Uh, what's that, foreign interference, countering foreign interference? Countering it, yes. Yes, yes. Well, in fact, we're probably the leading Western nation. Um, we are at the front line, of course, because oh, our, our, our geographic position is right in the heart of the Indo-Pacific region, which is yes. where a lot of foreign interference is taking place. Um, we've pivoted before other Western countries. Um, so I can rattle off a few things. In, in 2017, we stopped the China, Chinese extradition treaty from being ratified by our Senate. Right. Um, we introduced the espionage foreign interference laws in 2018. We banned Huawei from our future um, 5G network. Uh, we've introduced this new task force. Um, we've, we're going to introduce a bill that allows the foreign government, or sorry, that allows the Australian government to cancel that agreements entered into by state, local governments, universities, and, and of course, um, I'm thinking now of the Victorian government with the Belt Road Initiative that Dan Andrews signed up to. Right, correct. So yes. we are we are taking care of business um, under the Morrison government, and I'm very proud to be a, a backbencher and part of that team. Yeah, fantastic. Do you feel confident that we're doing the right things in the right order? Yeah, well, um, you know, Peter Dutton, a great Queenslander, he's doing an excellent job. I work very closely with him as the Minister for Home, and, Home Affairs, and I have a lot of confidence in our national security agencies, not, in the, not just in the way they're being led, um, but in the way that they're um, being tasked. And, um, you know, I, I think our government's got its priorities in order. Right. How deep do you believe foreign interference has gone into our country itself, into its framework? Do you think we've sort of stopped it before it went too far, that it couldn't be uh, righted or fixed? Well, Clive Hamilton, uh, who wrote a book, Silent Invasion, and he's just written another book called Hidden Hand. I commend those books to your listeners. They're, they're excellent books. Uh, but he talks about the need to, to respond, and we, are, we have been responding over the last few years. The, the point is, Australian sovereignty... Our, the integrity of our institutions you can't just take those for, for granted every generation needs to preserve them yeah. so the generation in world war one the generation before in world war two right. the generations that come after including mine yep. it's like a garden you have to curate it every day you've got to pull weeds you've got to you've got to make sure the soil's right and uh, it's a never-ending task right so um, what are, what are you're going, sorry. Are, we, are we tracking in the right direction? Yes, we are. But it's, it's, it's a job that never gets finished. So what do you think some of the repercussions are of foreign interference? Well, I think um, a loss of um, sovereignty. Yep. Um, if your political process and your leadership is compromised by a foreign power, um, they won't act in Australia's interests, yep. um, which is why we have such transparency now in the political sphere, a really strong uh, media is important. Investigative journalists turning rocks yeah. and uh, you know exposing uh, wrongdoing is really important. So it compromises your sovereignty and it compromises confidence. The Australian people have to have confidence that their political leadership, particularly, and their business leadership, are acting in Australia's interests. Yeah, I don't think again, the, I don't the do. yep. I don't think the average Australian realizes the repercussions and what happens. They th I think a lot of people think they chance a lot of professors being paid a little bit of money to do a bit of work in China and so on, but I don't think they understand the, the idea of intellectual property and uh, and the military capabilities of some of these uh, research programs. Well, exactly right. And so uh, I, I wrote to the Prime Minister with um, Senator James Patterson, a good friend and very strong on this stuff, a couple of weeks ago off the back of the report in The Australian about the Thousand Talents Plan yeah. in China and how a lot of our... Uh, university research was actually being exported to China. 
Um, so we, we, we pushed hard for a, an inquiry into foreign interference in our universities. Of course, there's the, the University of Queensland example with yeah. Drew Pablo, which I know Bob Catt has been pushing really hard. Yeah. Um, so there's Campus on Freedom, and then there's people's tax dollars being acquitted in the national interest. And at the moment, we're not convinced that that is the case. So that's why we're having an inquiry. We're going to bring accountability and transparency to the university. Um, I must admit, I do get a bit suspicious when I hear some of these people saying that. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe it happened. I mean, that's a that's something your solicitor tells you when you when you don't want to get into trouble. It's a pretty good hedge that expression. I must yeah, admit, it is. I agree with you. It, I don't think it cuts too much with the general public anyway. No. I think straight away, your, your hair at the back of your neck goes up and go, "Really? Yeah." So, so, Andrew, what no, do you what do you no. think is the solution? What's the what can we do? What can the average person do in this country and and so on? What is the solution to all this? Well, the best thing that I've had is the support of the Australian people. We are a democracy and everyone has a stake in the country. Everyone has a stake in the country. Every time they vote, whether it be local, at state elections, which I know you have one coming up, or mm-hmm. federal elections, uh, people get to determine the direction of our country. And if people say they've had enough... So true. Of yep, yeah. If they've had enough, then they can they can vote for for the party or the candidate who best represents Australia's interests. Yeah. And so, the first thing we need to do is people who are engaged in the public square. Australians can't switch their brains off; they have to be engaged. And when we're all engaged, we're better for it. Yeah, and I suppose the utilisation of using uh, social media has definitely helped this foreign interference as well, too. Well, that's right. Um, foreign interference. I mean, it's a double-edged weapon, of course. We of saw. Course, yeah. The Russians, particularly um, during the last presidential election, weaponise Facebook and, and Instagram particularly and exploit both sides, Democrats and Republicans. Yes. Uh, but nonetheless, social media has enabled uh, the little bloke to be able to be heard and have his say or her say. And that's been really, really important uh, oh. because, you know, there are big interests who want to who want to protect um, their, their commercial their commercial interests. And it's here. quite amazing, isn't it, that, that, that all this social media, Facebook and so on, is put together to bring people closer and all of a sudden it's sort of spread yeah. people apart. Yeah, but because people don't do their homework. Yeah. People don't look into it any no. deeper than, than the surface of what they see on their screen and that's what's really troubling me because, you know, I think... Uh, you said, Andrew, you're, you're spot on. Every single Australian is responsible for the destiny of this country. Of course. Because it's the way that we vote, and if we don't actually look into the people that we're voting for, we don't know where they stand or what they believe in or what their values and what their policies are, we deserve. And we're very lucky that we have the right to vote, the right right leader to come into our our systems. Correct, yeah. Uh, That's that's right, and I think a lot of people on social media, if they just pause, exercise a bit of curiosity and question what they see before them, we'd all be better for it. Mm-hmm. It's the old grain of salt um, thing, if you ask me. <laughs> so what, what, what's the next step yeah, for, the, for right. the government of this country? What is the next step for this foreign interference? Well, the Prime Minister at the Australian Defence Force Academy uh, about eight or nine weeks ago, I think it was, I've lost, I've lost sort of <laughs> track of time with COVID. That's understandable. You've been very busy as well. Yeah. <laughs> he, gave, he gave the strategic update. And things have changed. He said, post-pandemic, the world is going to be more dangerous, more disorderly and poorer. And so we need to be competitive in a more competitive world. And so that means growing our economy. Um, and I'm sure the, the Prime Minister and his team will, will, you know, put forward ways that we're going to do that over the next uh, year or so uh, as we start to recover from this pandemic. But we also need to be prepared um, to, to... Well, we need to build our defence force. Today... 
Um, Angus Taylor, the energy minister, announced a boost to our fuel reserves, $200 million for more storage. We, and we and spent about 90 time we odd million you bet, you bet it is. Yeah. Um, you bet it is. We spent ninety odd million dollars um, a few months back buying oil from the US for our strategic reserve. Yes. And now we're going to build infrastructure to, to store it. So we need to be self sufficient. Um, we've only got four refineries left in this country. One of them is in Queensland. Mm-hmm. Two are in Victoria, and one is in WA. Yeah, and um, so, so building resilience is what we need to do. Hundred percent. And I think the prime minister announced about a month or so ago that he's spending another seventy billion dollars on defence in the next ten years or so. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And um, looking at a whole range of capabilities, including uh, missile defence. Yeah, we basically we, we need to be we need to be that bloke in the pub who you you know you just don't want to get on the wrong side of right. friends with all. But I like that analogy. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> but, true. But, but pack a bit of a punch, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's the way that's the way I look at defence. It's pretty simple. You don't need a PhD in 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 you know politics or or, or whatever. It's it's pretty simple sort of stuff. It is. A couple of quick questions for you, Andrew, if you don't mind. Um, there was a, a headline in the in the ABC News uh, today, or yesterday, today, yesterday, one or the other. It said, has Australia miscalculated in the feud with China? What's your response to that? No, I, I think we've actually been very calm, very measured. The Prime Minister, he only deals with facts. He doesn't use, you know, over-the-top rhetoric. Um, and I think he's just been quietly defending our interests, which is all we can ask from an Australian Prime Minister. And um, he's been very sober, by contrast, you know, they've got papers like the Global Times um, attacking people like me, um, members of the government. Um, I think just yesterday, mm-hmm. Sherry Markson of The Australian was, was getting attacked by the Global Times. So we just need to be stable, um, reliable, factual, and take each issue as it comes, which is what we're doing. That's fantastic. So, so if I'm reading between the lines, you're confident that we've got the right people in the right places doing the right things right now? That's right. I am confident. That's great. Excellent. Well, then I'm going to ask you this. It probably sounds like a ludicrous question. I'm going to ask it anyway because there's a lot of discussion and it's not the first time I've heard it in the last week or so. A lot of people, as I'm talking around, asking the same question or alluding to the same proposition. Uh, they're talking about some kind of USA-China military aggression uh, sometime in November. What's your response to that one? Look, um, if I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I think... What we really want is a world where the U.S. and China can get along, um, each each shore up their own interests, but but somehow work together. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I hope and pray we have many more years of peace to come. But um, you know, people will say all sorts of things. Um, the risks for strategic uh, miscalculation are certainly higher. Very high. They're yes. certainly higher. And so it's really incumbent on our political leadership, the U.S. political leadership, Chinese political leadership, to always uh, talk and listen before doing anything else. And I know in our Prime Minister we've got a, a very um, solid leader in that regard. For sure we have, yes. He's got a lot on his plate at the moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the COVID is, is, is one thing, but this is something else. But I think he's done yeah. well. I do, I do. Andrew, I'll yeah. tell you one thing. Thank you very, very much for your time tonight. And uh, I know you're a very busy man, so I'm glad to see we've got people like you, especially politicians like yourself, in a meeting one moment, then on to us, and probably into another meeting next. We'll and like we're probably it. holding you up. <laughs> it's absolutely great to have Bye. you on our side to make sure that we keep us safe, this country safe and well. Um, and prosperous. And prosperous. And thank you very, very much for your time tonight, Andrew. Hey, thanks very much, Ken and Dean. And do you, do you guys broadcast into White Bay? 
by any chance? Into Wide Bay. Um, yeah, you can. If In certain areas you can. But I'll tell you what you can do. We are streaming through our website, which is bayfm.org.au. And, uh, we'll we'll also, send you the details, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have that streaming service goes all around the world, obviously. And the other thing that we are working on at the moment, and we expect by the end of this week, we would have this particular episode of our Searchlight Conversations up on our podcast as well. So we're hoping that part one and part two will be up there before yeah, the end Yeah, part of this one week. we had, uh, we had uh, Senator Jim Mullen on there as well, which is a fantastic oh, good. conversation. Yeah. So, fantastic. So, yeah, you'll be on there. You'll be able to see the podcast. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, if the, if the antenna doesn't reach you, the internet does. And so bayfm.org.au, hit the listen button, you can get us 24-7. Thank you again, Andrew. Thanks very much, Dean. Thanks, Ken. Thank Good you, Andrew. You. Thank you. Really appreciate it. There you go. Andrew Hosty. what a very interesting conversation. Mate, uh, you know what I love about the man, I think, is the fact is that he's working. At this time, Yeah, he's working. He's got for one meeting. Well, it's look, barely had time to deal with us. It's seven thirty-five at night. Yep. Yeah, and he's and he's still doing the job. And I bet you he didn't start at four o'clock this afternoon. I reckon he probably started about four o'clock, four o'clock yesterday morning. morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's yeah, great yeah. to hear, and that's what yeah. we need. Absolutely, we need people like that, and we need the the assurance. Yeah. Of having those people in the right places at the right time, doing the right things, and I and I think he sort of, I felt confident in his response to that question. Yeah, hundred percent. He was yeah. very confident in what he said, and yeah. I think I don't think people realise too is that even though a lot of people are stating now they believe that maybe our aggressive stance with China, but the fact is. We're not the problem. No. The CCP at the moment are very, very aggressive towards not just our country, but so it's, many other countries it, as absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. So we're not the only ones. It's just that we just hear about ourselves all the time. That's yeah. the problem. And, and, and it goes back to the thing, again, we talked about the media earlier on. And the one thing that I, I, I have a little bit of a thing with at the moment is the fact that we're losing so many really good, experienced, investigative journalists. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really bad place to be. I think there's a danger sign right in front of that because listening to the fluff about how Mary did this and how Johnny did that, I'm not interested. I want to know what's going on in our country at every moment so that we can all be responsible for our countries and our individuals' destination. And that only happens when you get investigative journalism in the right place. But I think, Ken, what's happening now is you've got people who are afraid to speak up now. They're afraid to say things. Well, that's got to stop, Dean. And unfortunately, that's why you've got bullies out there like the CCP. I mean, they have this bullying attitude. And um, you can't let a bully take an inch or you'll take a mile, as they say. Correct. You've got to stand up to it. I mean, yeah. that's the first thing you learn when you're It's got to be school. stopped straight away. So I think what yeah. the government doing, is doing at the moment is great. I think we need yeah. to look into our universities. We need to look into this foreign interference. We need to stop it. Yes. And like I said, working together and making things work for the country and the world is fantastic. But interfering with someone else's business? Yeah. Not no on. one likes that. Yeah, not on. No. It's not the done thing. It, um, but again, and again, I think we sort of hit also something on there. You know, there's a state election coming up, and it's yeah. really important that we've got three tiers of government in Australia local, yep. state, and federal, but there's only one country. That's right. Right. And there's only one nation. And we need to be united as an Australia. We've, s- we've got to stop this whole state versus state mentality. I'm over I mean, it. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, this is Australia. We're a country. How, how good was it when the COVID thing started and he started the National Cabinet and it actually worked? That's right. Because everybody said, we have to get out of this together. Yeah. We have to work together to move our country out of this as quickly as possible and to make sure that we don't get 
in a, in a very precarious situation. Yeah. And we started moving in the right direction, and all of a sudden it's starting to fracture again. I'm not happy yeah. with that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to speaking to Fergus Hanson. Yeah, he's our, he's our next guest. Fergus Hanson is be the director very, of yeah. the International Cyber Policy Centre. He's our next guest. Yeah, be very interested yeah. to see what he says about the cyber attacks and so on. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I believe they're coming from Russia and China as well, which is really amazing. I mean, it, it, the world has changed so much. It's so... I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening, but we're going to find out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's it's an interesting conversation to have, and, and that's what we're here to do. So, well, knowledge is power, and that's what we're here to do. Bring oh, as much knowledge as possible. Yeah, I know. I love that saying. It's, I'm, a, I'm a bit strange when it comes to that saying. Knowledge is power. It yes, is very it is. strange. Take my word. No, for no, it. no. Let me t- let me put it to you this way, Dean. <laughs> here's here's a little thing. You can you can yep. call this hilarious if you want, but this yep. is how I put it together. Right? Knowledge is power. It's valid, but to me, that's a library. Right. Right. Knowledge in action. Is, is power. power. Of course, always. And that's where I put it, right? So that's yes. when you, that's where I get into it, yeah. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. And, yeah, we're talking about cybersecurity tonight and what is happening into the future. Yeah. Uh, we just had a, a very, very interesting chat with Andrew Hasty, and uh, he did mention the Thousand Talents Plan. Yeah, I think – and he mentioned about the Australian article. Yes. Then uh, so the Australian investigated China's Thousand Talents Plan described it as an initiative which seeks to recruit leading Australian scientists for a secretive research program that offers lucrative salaries and perks but requires their inventions to be patented in China and obliges them to abide by Chinese law. That's scary. It is. You know, I think they've made mention about the facial recognition software. Well, so they're they doing can, that already. So they yeah. can track the minorities within their yes. own country. I yes. mean, you know, it's really funny because the setup of the, 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 the Thousand Talents Plan um, – was established in 2008 by the government, the central government of China. Yeah. And um, it has three categories. So the Innovative Thousand Talents Plan, long-term, short-term, for Chinese scholars below 55 years of age. So they're dealing with people that are within the modern age of research. Yes. Pretty much by looks of yes. it. The second part of the program, the second category, is Foreign Thousand Talents Plan, long-term, short-term, for foreigners only below 55 years of age. And the third one is Young Scholar Thousand Talents Plan for Overseas Young Talents Project of China for those below 40 years of age. You know, the- so they're recruiting a lot of talent from overseas. Now, okay, I'm going to ask a stupid question. Why would, if I would fit it into that, if I was suitable for this particular right. category or one of those categories and I fit it in perfectly there, why would I even think about going to China? Yeah, well, money talks. But that's, yeah, but. You know, Really? And also, too, you've got to understand, these guys are, are research scientists. So, you know, they've offered this fully set-up lab, yeah. unlimited funds to their research. I mean, if that's yeah. if that's your job, I mean, I, come I on. I understand man. that. It's, if it's your passion, I understand that. Because yeah. a couple of very close friends of mine are in that category, yeah. and they are research scientists. Um, but it's always a strike at first where I come from. Yeah, but sometimes it can make you blind. Yeah. Blind to things, you know, that, yeah. that you know, they really can, you know. It's you know, the program itself has been praised for recruiting top international talent to China, and uh, but has also been criticized for being ineffective at retaining the talent as well. Oh, so maybe people get that there and realize it's not as good as what it sounds, yeah. It wasn't know? what was on the brochure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, I think it's very easy at lost. I think if that's your if that's the thing that you love doing, yeah. And it's your interest, and it's you've made it your job, yeah. and someone's offering unlimited funds. Yeah, I hear you. I yeah. hear you, but still, yeah, it's just me. I'm, I'm. 
too Aussie to even consider even thinking about going any even to United States, for example. Yeah, I'd keep it here in Australia because I was always a big fan of the CSIRO when it was in its bloom. It was just right. amazing. What came out of the CSIRO? It still still does, but there's in those days it was just way ahead of its time. Look, I think we're very lucky in this country that we've got the ability this in this democratic nation of ours where yeah. we can have organisations. And uh, and parliamentarians like Andrew Hasty, but also organisations like ASPE, yeah, that gives us the opportunity. That's open to the public. Correct. That they can go onto their website, it's transparent, so totally transparent. Yeah, and you can see what's actually happening. Yeah. within the, within the security field within around the world. Yeah. dealing with these seven countries, I think that's absolutely fantastic. It is. You wouldn't get that pretty much. I don't think you get that anywhere else in the no, world. No, how lucky are we? Yeah, absolutely. How lucky are yeah. we? Thank you, Commander. That's a and hopefully we won't won't throw it all away. No, and that's that's the point. And and I think the the, the most uh, the most intelligent thing we can all do is to get into the website and actually learn, learn, look yeah, and learn, look, yeah. become educated, learn yeah. about it, understand it. Don't just make hearsay. Yeah. You know, it, it's you need to have evidence. There is no point in being a bystander. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Don't be part of the audience. Be part of the act. That's, That's what I right. reckon. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. All right, we're going to uh, we're going to be chatting to Fergus Hansen in just a moment. We'll get him on the phone. Back in uh, just a few seconds on Bay FM. Searchlight conversations with Dean and Ken. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations on Bay FM 100.3. Fergus Hansen is the director of the International Cyber Policy Centre. He's the author of Internet Wars and has published widely on a range of cyber and foreign policy topics. He was a visiting fellow at the Brookings Institute and professional Fulbright scholar based in Georgetown University, working on the uptake of new technologies by the US government. He's worked for the UN as a program director at the Lowy Institute and served as a diplomat at the Australian Embassy in The Hague. While working for philanthropist Andrew Forrest, he led the establishment of the Freedom Fund in London and the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery in Washington, D.C. He's been a fellow at Cambridge University Lauterpacht Research Centre for International Law and the Centre for Strategic and International Studies Pacific Forum. He's a member of the Board of Directors of the Catherine Hamlin Fitzsula Foundation and Art Monthly Australasia. He's also an advisory board member of the Cyber Peace Institute of Geneva. Good evening, Fergus. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No worries at all, Fergus. Thank you very much for being on the show. So, Fergus, lately we've been seeing in the news and on the TV about this foreign interference and, uh, and also a lot about cyber attacks and so on. So, in, in an easy set of words, what is foreign interference? Well, governments all around the world obviously engage in other countries and they run trade shows and they host meetings and gatherings. That's all legitimate parts of being a, you know, a nation state and engaging with your peers around the world. What's um, interference is where it's really covert or corrupting. So where you're sneakily uh, you know, and not publicly disclosing what you're doing and you're trying to do things in a way that ultimately is aimed at, at corrupting or undermining uh, the state where you're operating. So it's things like setting up, um, you know, it's bribing, you know, for example, bribing politicians to get them to change their policies on particular issues, uh, running fake information operations to try and persuade the public that, you know, one, there's a big group of people that happens to believe, you know, a particular thing that's going to swing policy in one direction when in fact that's all fabricated. It's that type of thing. Right. We've heard a lot of that, especially in the US, considering the last election in, was it 2016, Ken? I think it was, yes. 2016, yeah. 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 Yep. And, um, and that and that could possibly happen to any democratic country. Is that correct, Fergus? 
Well, exactly. Where a nation state has an interest to try to undermine a democratic process or get one candidate in over another, right. um, you, you could find them, you know, in any democratic country intervening and, and fabricating these information operations that try at least to, to swing uh, the public mood in one direction or another. So democracy can be a platform for freedom, but also can leave us open to being uh, backdoored, as they say, I suppose, isn't it, by, by foreign interference? Yeah. yeah, well, that's it. I mean, one of the, you know, the, the hallmarks of democracy is, you know, free speech and transparency and openness of our systems. And in the, that's really what these campaigns are exploiting. So in a way, democracies are much more vulnerable to these types of campaigns than are autocracies or dictatorships where the ruler has, you know, really tight control over the media um, and the information space. So it's a sort of, ironically, the hallmarks of democracy that actually makes us most vulnerable to these uh, misinformation campaigns. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's an interesting uh, development that in, and in the last 12 months, we're seeing an escalation of what we what you suggested and I think is is quite way of saying the backdoor policy yeah. of uh, of what's going on behind the scenes it's an interesting note that as we're getting further and further into a I won't use the word oligopoly, but it's sort of getting that way, uh, that this interference from foreign countries is coming to the fore and becoming more and more pronounced it's uh, it's becoming a little bit more of a worry than it was say ten years ago. Yeah, well, I think what we've really had is just a, a complete change in the media environment. So, you know, a decade ago, you would have had, you know, newspapers essentially leading the, the national agenda. Um, they come out each morning and, and TV and radio are sort of pivoting off them. Uh, what you've got now is a, a really sort of mixed media environment where it's the first person out with the story and online um, platforms like Facebook and, and Twitter and, and increasingly ones like TikTok uh, aware narratives are coming out and people are, are breaking news and, and shaping information, the information and the stories that, that percolate into other platforms. So it's a much more dispersed and disaggregated system and that allows foreign actors and others to manipulate that, that ecosystem yeah. and, and get fake stories into the, to the mainstream news. And that's where the danger is. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, there's, it's, you know, I think it's, a, it's, a just, a, it's just a different reality. We've got to adapt to it. Um, but that's how it's being exploited by nation states and also commercial operators that are just trying to make a buck. Um, but it's definitely a problem because you start to see things like, you know, for example, polling showing a large number of Australians believing in, you know, really kind of wild conspiracy theories. So there's these ideas that, you know, Bill Gates started um, the coronavirus and sort of crazy ideas like that yeah. those sort of ideas are becoming uh, accepted by you know relatively large parts of the australian population so that i think is a real um, challenge we've got to grapple with what, what i find fascinating is that social media was basically created to bring us all closer together <laughs> yeah. and now yeah. if anything it's actually dragging us apart isn't it it's creating these little segregated well, it, groups it, it depends on who's controlling it doesn't it yeah, yeah. It's, it's scary to even it think it could be it. somebody else's agenda being very manipulating in a very clever way yeah yeah, I, I found um, my attention came to this particularly after the last US election when um, Donald Trump got in as president and he started bashing China and it's just been coming a little bit more and more and more obvious or more uh, apparent that there's another agenda going on here. Uh, the in infiltration of intellectual property is where he started. 
That's what he was going on about, that the Chinese were taking over the intellectual property of the American smarts, and he didn't like that idea. And it seems to have escalated from there. What's your feedback on that one, Fergus? Well, I mean, I think, you know, as, as you point out, there's, there's a huge geopolitical struggle going on between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, and that's taking lots of different forms. I mean, Donald Trump absolutely, um, I think, had, had enough of um, the sort of industrial-scale theft of American intellectual property and, and really hit back hard against that and has, has taken some pretty sort of unusual measures uh, like you know the, the the trade war that's been going on between China and the United States for for quite a while now, um, but we've also seen you know changes in tactics from the Chinese Communist Party. So they've actually you know changed the way that they uh, engage in international information environments. They used to, we've probably seen you know those those paid lift outs in um, the Fairfax newspapers of the China Daily. Um, that's sort of quite you know it's pretty uh, obvious propaganda efforts. But what we see now is much more um, Russian-style methods. So, you know, Twitter's been taking down, you know, large um, Chinese state-run information operations that are trying to shape uh, and manipulate information environments in a a secretive way, uh, similar to what we saw with, say, the the Russians in the US election. So Mm -hmm. it's a change of tactics on on both sides, I think. Like you mentioned Russia. So Russia is another... Person, another country that's involved in foreign interference. Is that correct? Is that, that is that on the radar? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So are, are they are they trying to affect more social change rather than actual actual espionage as as far as industrial espionage, which is what China seems to be predominantly doing? Um, well, it, I think each country has its own motivations for intervening. So I think Russia, for example, um, you know, it's it's sort of made the. the, the country that it pits itself against is the United States, so it wants to try and you know, under, undermine um, West, you know, the Western coalition that the United States leads, so it's trying to undermine US democracy and, um, and also sow disinformation into the US information environment. It's also trying to um, make sure the countries on its periphery uh, stay within its sort of orbit of control, right. so it, it intervenes a lot in, it, in its neighbouring countries, and including in Europe. Um, if you look at countries like China, for example, they tend to intervene in countries closer to their periphery. Um, and they've also increasingly, after sort of the, the outbreak of COVID-19 in China, um, tried to sort of muddy the waters around that issue so that it doesn't look um, so damning for them that, you know, the outbreak got out of control in China and, and you know, spread globally. With, with, with the... Um Again, going back to the American election, going back to when uh, Trump came back in, he was also um, putting out a lot of information saying that Russia influenced the election, etc., etc., etc. Then all of a sudden, his his family gets involved with the the whole conspiracy of it all. One minute he's happy with Russia, the next minute he's not. Is there something going on there that we don't know about? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I don't know if I can read the tea leaves of the Trump administration, but... I don't think um, anybody can, but anyway. Yeah. Fergus, we're, Fergus, we're looking for secrets, mate. Secrets? Yeah. We're looking for secrets. We, we went to dirt. Yeah, well, we've got a direct line where he, he tells me all the stories, but I don't know if I can disclose them on radio. Yeah. If, with going back to China again, um, are they trying to... 
gain a, a worldwide control of, of, of intellectual property dealing with a, a variety of different areas. Is that really what the... Uh, it, yeah. What's their end game? Their, ang- their, yeah. their angle, if you want yeah. to call it that, yeah? yeah? I mean, are they well, trying yeah, to be the, 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 the number one country to turn to for anything and everything? Yeah, I think there's sort of the, the party has designated all these priority areas for you know innovate or development of its sovereign capability. Um, so in areas where China doesn't have an existing capability and it really wants to get one, it's it's doing they've made huge investments both in terms of dollar resources that are being ploughed into this. Um, but what we're also seeing is sort of large-scale uh, industrial-scale theft of intellectual property from all over the world. So we're seeing it, um, you know, the United States has had, you know, published a lot of documentation around this. It's sort of described it as the largest transfer of wealth in, in history. Um, but it's also happening, you know, here in Australia, um, in, in any country, really, that has intellectual property uh, to steal. So we've seen it um, both sort of in, in cyber-enabled, so you know, breaking into company systems and stealing uh, their intellectual property or in universities, um, but it's also um, recruiting scientists who have the expertise, so setting up um, groups out in sort of key areas uh, that have you know really strong intellectual property, so outside, for example, the, the Tesla factory, and recruiting scientists who work there who can come back to China and, and spill them on how they... Um, do things in that particular organisation. So it's a pretty broad front, but um, all designed to try and, and build up um, capability in China. So, so China is... Would I be correct in assuming that China is trying to take over the mechanics of the world and basically own the manufacturing systems and all the products, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I don't think China, you know, is able to, you know, take over every single aspect of, of the world, but I think it, it has um, definitely got uh, ambitions to be, you know, the, the, the top global economy, the, the, the leading uh, global power, and to do that, it needs to have, you know, at the moment, it's got a, a technology, uh, US has a technology edge over China in, in a whole bunch of sectors, so to if China's going to realise that ambition, it really needs to close that edge in, in key areas. Um, and so that's what it's sort of gradually chipping away at and, tr- and trying to achieve. And it doesn't mean that China's going to manufacture everything or do everything. It's always going to need other countries to, to help in lots of different areas. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of technology, it's definitely trying to make sure that it, it closes that gap with the US. Absolutely. And it becomes the, the for want of a better word, superpower in that, in that area. Yeah. Yep. Well, super economy, isn't Super economy, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, Fergus, we just want to go for a quick break right now and uh, come back to you in just a moment. I'd like to, first of all, when we, when we do come back, I just want to have a quick chat about um, your role as the director of the International Cyber Policy Centre and, and what it does and, and how it uh, shapes things that uh, we see and, and feel here and now in our country. Sure, love to. You're listening to Searchlight Conversations. Our special guest is Fergus Hansen, the Director of International Cyber Policy Centre. And Fergus, what is it? What is the International Cyber Policy Centre? What's your role and what does it do for Australia? So we're a non-profit think tank. Um, there's a, a pretty sizable team here working in um, they're both tech and policy backgrounds. They've got a whole range of capabilities from you know, geospatial uh, analysis through to um, language expertise. And um, they're really doing a, what we call impl- applied empirical research. So it's trying to um, 
gather new data sets that will ultimately allow us to have a, a more informed public policy discussion. So we look at what's happening in the world, try to sort of um, systematically go through and gather data sets around that. And then that provides us a, a sort of launching pad for having a, a different a, a analysis of a, a policy problem and how you can go about uh, fixing it. So we do things like, you know, look at talent recruitment stations that have been set up around the world by the Chinese Communist Party and how they operate and how they're funded to recruit scientists um, back to China. Um, we look at things like use of coercive diplomacy and um, building up data sets about how, how often that's used and, and how effective it is in coercing states into changing their behaviour. Or we look at things like offensive cyber operations and, and how they function and, and when's the right time to use them and when's the wrong time. So in, in, the, in that, uh, that endeavour, you advise all governments or just Australia? Well, we, um, we, we, all our reports are, are made public, so anyone can read them on our website. Um, and then we often get requests from governments all over the world, um, usually close friends of Australia, uh, to, to brief their officials and their politicians about um, our work and, and sort of the, the behind-the-scenes analysis and, and how we got to where we got to and, and what the implications are for their country. So that's the type of engagement, I guess, we do. Well, my, my, my recommendation is, Fergus, don't answer the Chinese email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, another point too, Fergus, I know you're dealing with the cyber security and so on. Um, have we seen a lot more frequent cyber attacks on the country, especially within the government? Uh, yeah, I think the, the scale of cyber attacks is, you know, continually increasing and that's really just a product of the fact that it's such a permissive environment yep. and by that I mean if you commit a cyber attack whether you're a cyber criminal or you're a nation state you're basically you know very unlikely to get caught yep. um, most cyber criminals are operating offshore um, so it's very hard for you know your local policeman uh, or police person in the in, you know Brisbane or wherever to then you know track them down in whatever the country they they're operating from overseas. So so the government uh, so influence they, ones. Uh, what what are they what are they looking for? What what's their cyber attack target? Yeah, well, it sort of depends on the, the nation state involved. So you know we've had uh, reports you know in the last couple of years of the Chinese state, for example, breaking into the Australian Parliament and the Australian political parties, yeah. uh, into the Australian National University. Um, uh, so we've had those types of uh, nation-state attacks. We've seen Russia and North Korea launch attacks that involve, um, you know, ransomware attacks where you sort of lock up people and encrypt people's files and sort of a, a virus that spreads and, you know, locks up companies' files and their ability to operate. Um, in, in, and that were, I think they, were, they weren't designed to necessarily generate revenue, perhaps in the case of North Korea, but... Um, they, they nonetheless sort of jam up people's systems and, and block their, their um, operations. We've seen Russia engage in efforts to shape the US um, elections. And one of the sort of outlier states is North Korea, which has got all these sanctions against it. And it does things like um, trying to... Uh, it tries to generate revenue through its, its cyber attacks. So it's run a, a heist on the Bangladesh Central Bank um, and it's trying to sort of steal money uh, in a way to, to keep the state propped up, so it's a it's a really unusual case. Fascinating, yeah. And they're definitely an ally of the CCP, of course. Of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, when did the Australian government recognise? Do you know when they when when did they seem to realise that this foreign interference was occurring? Because it seems like it only happened yesterday. 
because we've only just noticed it. But um, you did mention earlier that it did happen a little bit earlier with uh, with uh, Prime Minister Turnbull. Yeah, so you, pro- you probably remember the, the speech that Turnbull gave when he was Prime Minister um, launching these foreign interference laws in Australia. I don't think that's necessarily the time, though, when the, the government realised one of the big challenges in the space of foreign interference is the political sensitivities of of calling out foreign interference. So for a long time, uh, interference had been going on in the background, um, but it was pretty tricky to to call it out, um, you know, because there was this belief that you had to maintain, you know, relationships in good order, and um, that wasn't sort of the diplomatic thing to do. I think there was a the fundamental shift. Uh, around um, the time that Turnbull was Prime Minister, when there was a realisation this was sort of, this was getting out of hand, and Australia really needed to act in its own national interest to uh, try to push back against this. And from that point on, we've seen a gradual unfolding of different um, pieces of legislation and, and steps to try and uh, push back against foreign interference uh, and make sure that there's a um, transparency and openness in the Australian information environment and and without too much um, interference from whether it's commercial or state actors uh, in our information environment. Wow. In the the last 24 hours, uh, we've noticed in the news that uh, China has compiled the list of 3,500 Australians that they're keeping a very close eye on, 600 in particular, and a couple of them I noticed the names of sports people, etc. What's going on? Well, I think this database, it's a, it's a tricky one because it was compiled by a, a, a private company um, mm. and we don't know who the ultimate client was uh, for that um, that data, but it, um, it looks like a, an effort to uh, at least provide sort of cursory surveillance on um, a whole bunch of people, um, including myself, uh, on that list that... Um, yeah, an effort to, I suppose, provide, you know, it's hard to say exactly what the, the use case is for that. And, you know, in many of the cases, it's it's just sort of scraping the data off off the internet of people's published bios and things like that. Okay. Um, but definitely an interesting one. And if you happen to see uh, Ken and my name on there, can you please uh, <laughs> delete them immediately? <laughs> um, <laughs> you, never, you never know. Sure so, you so, never know. 600, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's a, an in-depth question, because you guys are... are I've got your finger on the pulse here. When did Aspie or yourself and people involved in that situation now, when did you guys start to realise that this foreign interference was starting to get a little bit out of hand and becoming maybe a little bit more aggressive than normal? Um, so I, I came to Aspie just over three years ago and we've, we've built up this uh, a team of researchers and I think what became apparent as we went through our research um, was that this was, you know, a, a really understudied and underappreciated uh, area. Mm-hmm. Um, just by conducting, you know, language in language research, so using um, Chinese uh, speaking analysts, it was possible to, to glean a, a really deep insight, I think, into to the, what the the Chinese Communist Party was saying it was it was doing and had plans to do. So I don't think there's any sort of, you know, revelate, you know, all the information was in the public domain. It just hadn't really been um, translated into English or analysed by, uh, from a Western perspective. So I think that's, um, we started to, yeah, come across it about, you know, three and a half years ago we began and I think it's just really um, ballooned from there. 
the the everyday Australian is is hearing all of this, and we're getting lots and lots of media reporting it in certain ways and different ways, and it's becoming more and more apparent that there is definitely something brewing behind the scenes. I've heard a couple of things over the last week, particularly, and just talking in, with in social groups and in conversations and things like that, that the average Australian is probably quite content with the way we are living in Australia right now, very happy with the way things are. And should we be concerned about the change that might be just around the corner, perhaps? Um, look, I don't think people need to you know, panic at all. I think um, what is needed, though, is for people to be sort of more aware about um, the news, the information that they're consuming. So we have a, you know, a very wide media diet now that includes... The, you know, opinions of our friends and acquaintances and people that they've sort of retweeted or reposted on, on social media. Um, and some that all has sort of, you know, differing degrees of um, reliability. And, you know, quite, um, you know, not infrequently you can see your, your friends um, sometimes post material that you suspect might be suspicious or not quite, you know, stack up necessarily. So I think it's just sort of being a little bit more critical um, in thinking through, you know, what you're consuming and what you're seeing. And if you're if you're in, in doubt, you know, going to the source documents and saying, well, you know, is this a reliable uh, news site? Is it uh, or is it, you know, something that somebody's just made up or on some obscure website, in which case, you know, you could um, potentially downgrade a little bit in terms of um, the factual accuracy potentially. So I think it's, it's that type of... Um, savviness in your in your media uh, consumption that's the main thing to be aware of um in terms of you know trying to inoculate australia against this type of um interference yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there it's you, you can't rely on any one particular source in fact i wouldn't rely on any source without doing your, your own homework on it without getting involved with looking at that source looking at uh, what their what their uh, their agenda is and, and so on and so on and, and is there is there a reliable place that you could recommend that most australians could go to and get reasonably accurate information from well i mean i think you know, all everyone knows the the big media outlets in Australia. I think those um, outlets still do their their best to you know the ABCs and the um, you know the the newspapers and the um, the, t- the television stations. They they still got journalists there, the radio stations that are you know doing their their bit to try and re- accurately report what's going on. They even when they've got an opinion to to convey or a view to, to an angle to something. They're generally trying to, to chew to the you know the facts of the matter. Mm. Um, I think it's it's when you sort of delve into um, less reliable you know blogs or just opinions that people are, are pushing, then that gets tricky. And I think that the, one of the big ones that's coming up now is around conspiracy theories. Mm. And there's lots of people you know that are really doing it tough because of things like coronavirus. And um, you know when you when you're in those situations, especially I think there's a and, and, and a natural uh, desire to you know get a get an answer that sort of explains. Well, that, that's everything. a that's a pretty good point. That's a point I was going to bring up about. I honestly believe, due diligence aside, I think that yeah. COVID nineteen has definitely brought a lot of things to the forefront because people are spending a lot more time at home browsing the internet, looking at all this different information, and I think just trying to assess it. They have the time available. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So do you believe that the uh, coronavirus has sort of accelerated the situations that have occurred around the world? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I, I, I think we've got to see the data on this, but the, at least sort of the some of the preliminary polling that's come out about you know belief in things like COVID nineteen conspiracies 
they're surprisingly high and you have to sort of you know, hypothesise that that's around you know, a lot of people spending a lot more time at home, um, people really struggling, whether it's through you know, underemployment or unemployment or um, the job situation or financial pressures and um, when you can have a sort of an easy explanation about who caused this and why it's happening, um, that can be extra attractive in those kind of situations. And um, how we grapple with that, I think, is is through things like, you know, just gripping people up to be a bit more, or people just being a little bit, you know, um, um, thinking through how they're using, what they're consuming and, and what they're reading. Yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time to be alive, to be quite honest. And mm. things are accelerating at a rapid rate. And uh, I think we've got a lot more territory to cover. I'd like just to take a quick break right now, if you don't mind, Fergus. We'll come back to you in just a moment. I, I want to have a chat about um, a question that we had got sent in by a listener, which I thought was rather interesting. And I'd, I'd like to get your feedback on it. So that I'll give you the question in advance, give you a few minutes to think about it. But he basically sent an SMS into us, one of our listeners, and said... China has won the Third World War without even pushing one button on ammunition. So have a ponder on that one. I'm going to ask that question again after the break. Thanks, Fergus. Searchlight Conversations by FM 100.3. The Director of International Cyber Policy Centre, Fergus Hansen, is our special guest. And just before the break, Fergus, I left you with a really hairy question. And the question came from one of our listeners who said, China basically has won the Third World War without even firing one bullet. What's we, your response to that? We, we just want a yes or no answer, thanks. <laughs> we don't want any details. Well, it would be a great world war if no one had to fire any bullets. That's of course. For sure. so, the, um, the best war. I think that's the... We, the situation everyone wants to be in where there's um you know this doesn't turn into a you know the last thing anyone wants is a conflict with china um i think what the the reality is and what we're facing with china is a, a competition and particularly one that's going to be centered around values so i think the, the big um thing that distinguishes uh, democracies from uh, the system that we're starting to see develop in the chinese communist party uh, what's rolling out in China is the values that underpin the way that we go about our lives. So uh, principles like uh, free speech, uh, the right to engage in your, you know, to walk around without being surveilled by the state, um, the ability to to do what you want to do when you walk down the street or go in your home or uh, you know work in your office. Uh, without having you know people monitoring your every move and, mm. and deciding when they're going to intervene and punish you or not. Um, so I think that's the the big thing that's going to distinguish what we do with uh, what authoritarian states do, and that's the way that competition is going to be structured. Yeah. And so I think then for us it's really important to to live live up to those values, so not to surveil our own people, uh, and to have really clear um, guardrails around any type of. Um, technologies that we roll out in, in Australia that might impinge on some of our rights. So that's the type of thing that I think really matters in terms of what we do um, going forward and how we structure this competition. It, it's it's a very interesting next five years. I, I in, in, If I was crystal balling it, I really wouldn't know where to go, to be perfectly honest for you. But um, where, where are you placing your microscope at the moment? Um, so we have a, a bunch of different um, projects that we've got underway. We're doing a lot of work on... Um, disinformation campaigns that are being run online um, by a whole bunch of different states and different actors. Uh, we have some work that we're doing to try and help Australians improve their cyber security to make sure that Australia is more resilient uh, to cyber attacks. 
We're running um, projects to uh, an Indigenous STEM project to try and um, get more Indigenous Australians uh, working in um, the technology space. Um, We're doing a a whole bunch of work around um, some of the um, surveillance that's been uh, rolled out in in China. Um, So we've got a... a, um, lots of different areas of um, strands of research on the, on the boil. Um, yeah, and happy to talk about any of them if you'd like. I think with the um, going back to the COVID-19 uh, with intellectual property and so on, people trying to find a cure. I mean, mm. we have read and seen that China's definitely interested in trying to get the cure first. I mean, to what benefit? Um, would they have been the number one, I know, a monetary benefit, of course, but is, is that another sign of, of, you know, look at who we are and what we can do? Yeah, well, I think this is sort of the, the big geopolitical um, prestige you know, battle at the moment. Yeah. The, the state that comes up with uh, the, the vaccine for COVID-19 is going to be, you know, the, the global hero. It seems um, so I much about their image, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's, it's every. You know, it's a lot of people's images. Is it? Yeah. You know, is it going to be the United States, the the current leader in technology globally? Is it going to be the UK that's got this really great vaccine? Is it Australia going to be the you know dark horse in the race? We've got a couple of you know that great vaccine, promising vaccine in Queensland. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, there's a lot riding on it. The whole world's going to want it, um, and it's going to have a lot of you're going to have a lot of bragging rights if you can um, land it. So. It's, and then I think the other thing you've got is, you know, prestige in other markets. So we've seen um, China negotiate advanced deals with a um, bunch of countries in the developing world right. uh, as a sort of goodwill gesture. So those types of partnerships are, are the types of things that can roll out from this as well. A question for you. We talked a little bit earlier on about the infiltration of intellectual property in our universities, businesses and governments. Are we protected well enough in those institutions in Australia? Uh, no, I would say absolutely not. We've, um, I think our universities are you know, really um, prime targets for uh, IP theft. They, you know, academics traditionally operate in very open environments. It's all about collaborations and publishing research findings. So it's a, it's a system designed really for um, easy hoovering up of intellectual property. Um, so it's just the way that universities have operated, you know, forever has been very open and um, transparent. Um, yeah. And in an age when people are competing to, to steal IP, uh, they're not really um, the, the right places for being able to protect, to protect it and lock it down. So it's definitely a two-prong uh, attack by the CCP, really, in lots of ways, isn't it? I mean, you uh, cyber attack in itself, and then at the same time a physical attack by you know, infiltrating our universities, uh, gaining their confidence. Seems to be they seem to be paying a lot of money to a lot of these different universities. Correct. And now we're getting feedback from these professors and people that have been employed by them that they didn't know about it or they didn't know that it was going towards military expansion in any way, shape or form. It's, it is quite scary stuff. Yeah, and it's not it's not just China. We've seen you know, other countries around the world um, go after this, go after IP held by universities. But you're right; it can be you can steal the information, you know, through virtual means. You can, you know, befriend scientists, or you can set up, you know, joint research projects, and you can do it in a spectrum of ways that can be, you know, you can send in, um, you know, PLA military scientists that are, you know, essentially. Um, you know, 
not disclosing their their university of origin um, and you can you can do it in much more open ways where you're just um, you know recruiting um, great professors to, yeah. to come and work in in mainland china and, and share their expertise so there's lots of ways that information can flow and some of it's perfectly legitimate uh, and some of it's um, is not so what's the solution fergus what is the solution? Where do we go from here? How do we fix this? How do we try to? I, I suppose we can't fix it to the point, but I mean, we've we got can, to protect ourselves. We can protect ourselves. Yeah, can. yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, I think with you know universities, it's uh, it's not sort of wholesale abandonment of collaboration, but I think it is looking at some of the the niche areas where it's, it's highly problematic. So you know, training PLA military scientists in in ways to build better weapons isn't really in, in anyone's interest uh, except for um, the, the Chinese military. So right. I think that t- those type of collaborations we need to really uh, clamp down on globally. And unfortunately, Australia's been, you know, doing a lot of training of PLA military scientists over the years, and, and you know, that's not really great for us. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to abandon, you know, all collaborations or all international partnerships or foreign students. I don't think that's the answer at all. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, you've got to harden your system. So we know for a fact that, you know, companies are going to be targeted for, for cyber attacks, whether it's cyber criminals or nation states. So we should start taking this as seriously as we take, you know, physical security. We put doors on, you know, doors on our openings and we have, you know, swipe cards and fences and gates in our buildings and offices. Yeah. You know, we should be doing the same things for our cyber security so that it's harder to steal um, intellectual property from, you know, whether it's a university or a, a company. So is the Australian government doing enough to protect its citizens and our way of life? Um, well, they're, they're definitely working to step up their cyber security. Um, I think in, in there's always a lot more that can be done. So our government departments at a federal level, you know, routinely are failing their uh, the audits that they have for their cybersecurity defences, and most of them aren't meeting sort of basic standards. Crikey. So, you know, there's a lot more that can be done there. Um, businesses are still losing, you know, billions of dollars a year through cybercrime, so there's a lot more they can do. Um, and I, I think we have to make sure that it's not just, you know, this isn't just all about government solving everyone's problems. Uh, individuals have to, to do more, governments have to do more. Um, we all have to do more to you know, to do this, including the government. Okay, that's an interesting point. As individuals, what can we as a everyday citizen do? Yeah, where can we go? Um, well, I think it's, it's um, you know, making sure that you're not just, uh, that you have a sort of a, a good cyber, they call it good cyber hygiene. So being aware of things like uh, phishing attacks, which are, you know, malicious uh, emails that are trying to get you to click a link from somebody that you don't know, for example, mm. or being aware about the way that um, cyber criminals operate. So if you're, you know, in a, a, a you know, dating someone that you've met online, and they're wanting you to transfer twenty thousand dollars so they can yes. uh, send their kid to school or get an operation that they desperately need, um, thinking twice about that or um, checking things like scam watch, you know, if that's a sort of known um, scam or those those types of things, I think help make sure that you have um, better cyber security and then thinking about the, the applications that you're downloading onto your home computer. You know, are they from a reputable company, uh, like a, you know, a Microsoft or a Google, or, or are they from, uh, you know, 
a website you've never heard of um, that you know doesn't have any you know real record online. So I think thinking through those those types of things and constantly changing your passwords. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a good point you brought up with with someone reputable like Google and so on. Um, are they? Are they? <laughs> I mean, who's looking after them? Who's I'm, keeping I'm very eye on these guys? I'm extremely sceptical. I mean, is the government yeah. trying to look at maybe, like, I know they've been talking about the advertising with them so on lately, but yeah. are they looking at trying to maybe enforce some of their restrictions as well? Well, I think there's there's questions, of course, around, you know, user data and, um, you know, the, the market share and things like that, and you can have discussions about that. But I think what you do get from a... Um, you know, a, a company that, that specialises in, in software, for example, is things like patching of your product. So if you've got a Microsoft Word or, or Windows or whatever there's, or a, you use an Apple phone, you're getting constant um, patches, which is essentially, you know, someone's discovered a vulnerability, which happens, you know, on a basically a daily basis for these products. Uh, and then the company writes a code to, to close out that vulnerability so that your products remain secure. Um, so if you continually update your software, you're getting all of these patches that are essentially closing off the vulnerabilities, all the and that happens just constantly. So that's a, a really great way to make sure that your personal systems at home um, remain secure. Um, and I think absolutely you should be conscious about your, um, you know, how your data is being used and and managing the settings that you've got on different products, whether it's social media or uh, you know other products that you're web browsing that you're using. Um, but I think that using a, a reputable product for your, your software is, you know, really important. Right, okay. So in your personal opinion, where do you think we're going to go from here? Do you think there's an opportunity for us to do a complete turnaround? Um, I, and as far as – and one of me about that, but as far as policies are concerned, uh, as far as uh, uh, implementing different type of security. Are we in a safe place? Are we in a safe place, yeah. yeah. And also, too, it, it's like uh, a thing with us at the moment now with China and so on, which I have to have to designate that it's the CCP we're talking about, not the Chinese people, but Correct. the CCP, yep. Chinese Communist Party. Um, do you see um, – our policies as being either too hard or too soft? I mean, it's a question that is going through the media at this present time. Yeah, I mean, I think big picture, we are heading down a pathway of competition between, you know, democracies and um, particularly the the Chinese Communist Party, and that will focus around, uh, I think it'll be played out in the realm of values. Yeah. So really clearly distinguishing what we do as democracies and how it's different uh, from what happens in an authoritarian state where the people can't be trusted. So I think that, and the, the clear difference there, I think, will play out is, you know, how we treat our own citizens versus how citizens are treated in authoritarian states. Right. In terms of what, I, you know, I think we're, what we need to do as a, as a country, I think we need to, you know, Ch- China is going to be a, a fundamentally important country for Australia. Um, it's going to be important from our, our own security yeah. and our own uh, economic prosperity. So we have to have a, a, a good relationship with China. Um, so I think it's a matter of being really clear to the to the Chinese Communist Party about where our red lines are and, and that we will stand up yeah. for our nation. Where our boundaries are. 100%. Because yeah. 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 I think a lot of people seem to be blaming, saying that we're, that, that the Prime Minister has maybe a little bit, been a little bit too hard on the CCP, but at the same time, too, man, they're being aggressive to everybody, not just us. And unfortunately, all we hear about is us, but there's a lot of other countries that are being basically uh, persecuted by them as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this is a global shift in their policy. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're starting a conflict with India. There's, um, you know, really fierce disputes going on with a whole bunch of European states. There's obviously the, the contest with the United States, yeah. uh, the Canadian government. Um, it's, it's, it's a global phenomenon. Very aggressive. Um, and I think what it really is about is sort of working out where the limits are of different states. And I think once the Chinese Communist Party realizes where our limits are and where we're going to sort of stand firm and push back that'll be the then we'll be able to get into a better equilibrium where we can sort of be you know more mature in the relationship and just say well okay that's your red lines we know you're gonna you know not not concede any further than that and you know similarly we'll know where they're gonna where they're gonna stop uh, and what really matters to them and then i think from there we can you know work out what's possible and, and hopefully that is you know, continuation of a you know a productive relationship. Does does Australia have enough of the right muscle to push back? Well, I think it, it, I think it is really important that we we do push back because that's the that's the language that the the Chinese Communist Party understands. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, but I think much. we also have mm-hmm. to work in in coalitions. So, if you take the example of you know arbitrary arrests of citizens. Uh, we've had lots of cases from around the world where people, citizens, are being arbitrarily detained in in China. Um, but we're not; those those countries aren't working together. They're all trying to solve sort the problem out themselves. Whereas if they banded together and said, "Hey, wait a sec, we've all got we're all in the same situation here. Let's get together and push back together against uh, the Communist Party," that'll lead to very different results. Uh, especially if you start. You know, upping the ante and saying, "Well, you know, um, you know, we're going to start retaliating in our own way." Whether it might be—I'm not saying arbitrary arrest, but it might be things like economic sanctions—to try and um, deter um, this practice, which I think is is starting to get out of hand. Mm. I think your last last line was absolutely spot yeah, on. It's yeah, definitely it's, it is definitely hand. getting out of hand. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, now, Fergus, we've we've kind of run out of time, unfortunately. I'd like to chat for another hour or so, but it's been fascinating. It's been fascinating, absolutely. Uh, just before we do go any further, you got a couple of books in the in the wings. Um, well, we do have lots of products coming out, and um, our website aspie.org.au has um, uh, a bunch of really interesting reports. There's some new ones out: hunting the phoenix and um, coercive diplomacy. There'll be one on five G. Um, this week so um, yeah take a look and um, hopefully you find something that interests you Oh, you, you hit the you hit the little little um, yeah. hot button there with five G. That's a conversation I'd love to have. So there's a publication coming. We might have a look at that. Yeah, and we might come back to you on that one down the track a bit further. Yep. Great, love to talk. Yeah. Fantastic. And the website, Ken, is aspi.org.au. Aspi.org.au. Fergus, it's been yeah. Fergus, fantastic information today, and hopefully our listeners out there will, will take something home with them now and have a bit of an understanding of where we stand and what, what what's actually occurring. I'd, I'd like a lot more Australians to take responsibility for learning a lot more about this kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what I'd like to do, and that's what this program is all about. And with with p- people like you, Fergus, we're, we're one step ahead of it. So I, I can yep, thank uh, you very much. Say thank you so much, Fergus Hanson. It's been an absolute delight chatting with you this evening. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Wow. That's a long journey tonight, but it was really, really, really worthwhile. Yeah, I think it, I think both guests made some very, very valid points. Yeah, I think we need to um, make sure we go through with our education. I mean, you know, go to sites like aspie.org.au.au, get all the information, realize what the truth is, rather than just looking at social media and listen to the hearsay. Correct. But see what is actually going on there in our world. Yeah. Um, and I think be safe on our social media. 
A hundred percent. You know, yeah. be careful of what we put on there, what we respond to, to yep. what we look at, you and know. share nothing. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's um, it, it's a scary thought that that we are under attack in in, in many different ways. And I'm hoping that with people like these two guests we had tonight and the rest of the country that will learn from this, move forward and do something about it. Absolutely. And um, it, is, it, it is up to each one of us to do something about it. It is. We can't just palm it off to the government or some other organisation or whatever. Every one of us is part of the big picture. I think we've got to get out of this. She'll be right, mate. Yeah. On this particular subject. Definitely. Yeah, yeah for definitely, sure. Yeah. For sure. It is. It's a concern, and there's a lot more, I think, to come. Yep. I think that we've, well, we, it has escalated in the last little bit, but I don't think it's over yet. Well, as you saw today, the uh, the Australian government's put $211 million into our fuel reserves. Yes. Build them up, especially yeah. aviation fuel. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we, we're starting to realise that things are... are, are yeah, because up until now we only had, what, 30 days reserves of fuel? That's right. Yeah. And we're supposed to have 90 days? Yeah. 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 So I think if you read that from another way as well, if they did all of that, they have decided to put $210 million into additional reserves, yep. they must know something. Yeah. Look, I think we, we need the fuel there, not only to help with the with the actual um, military machine, but also we need it for our own economy. We Correct. During a war, the economy still has to keep going. Yes, absolutely. And if this COVID crisis hasn't given us a, as an example for it, I mean, what is? What is, exactly right. I know that the first thing they said they're going to do is build some more diesel trucks or yeah. trucks that can carry diesel. Yeah. So uh, it is it is a concern and it's a good decision, I think. We certainly do need to have a bigger 30 days. is not a, nowhere near enough. No. Nowhere near enough. No. So, And the other $70 billion that they're spending on defence over the next few years as well is a very worthwhile thing. And yep. I hope they're going to put it into stuff that happens a little faster than the submarines in Adelaide because uh, we could all be long gone before that's finished. <laughs> well, I'm just glad to see that we've got people around there and we've got politicians actually making a difference now. Yes. Yeah, I think I think the ears have pricked up a lot more than they had even twelve months ago. Yeah, quite quite honestly, and uh, um, yeah, very very interesting times. I'm looking forward to a very happy Christmas. I think that by then we should have a lot less um, to deal with as far as COVID goes, and we can put a bit of a smile on our face. But the old saying is never let your guard down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only red guard I want to attack me is Santa. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, so, fair, yeah. sounds fair enough to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a, have no, but it's been a pleasure, Ken. Thank you very much, Once Dean. Once again, a very interesting program. Hopefully, a few more to come. Yeah, well, we'll have we have got a few uh, ideas in, in the in the fire. That's for sure. And um, we've got the upcoming election as well. Which the is state very elections. State elections are just around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, and we know the date on that. We know that it's going to be campaigning uh, for earnest. Twenty-seven days out. Yeah. Uh, the writs haven't been done yet, but that's neither here nor there because we know the date anyway. It's going to be a different election, I think. I think so. And, uh, you know, you, the fact that you'll be able to vote for the election before the writs are put out, is, I think it's quite interesting in itself, but yeah. that's just the way it goes. Um, and I think that uh, the next three or four weeks in our country or in our part of the country, in the southeast corner of Queensland particularly, is going to be a very interesting three weeks. The next three weeks is going to see a lot of stuff starting to emerge. Yeah. And I think we all need to pay attention. Hopefully we'll be part of it. Uh, absolutely, for sure. We will be part of that. Uh, we're going to endeavour to get the China Conversations Part 1 and Part 2, which was tonight, up on our podcast uh, before the end of the week. I won't promise that, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it's there for you. Right. So if you do want to review that, you'd need to go into the Bay FM website to check it out. Um, just keep an eye towards the end of the week or stay tuned to Bay FM during the week as, uh, as it does appear. We'll certainly let you know through the regular programming of Bay FM. So, Dean... 
There it is, Searchlight Conversations, the China Conversation Part 2. We are done and dusted for tonight. Thank you very much. It's been a Thank really, you. really interesting conversation tonight. Magic. Absolutely loved it. And good night to everybody out there. And good night to you, yes.